Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. Uh, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about Gaussian processes as a way to solve pretty gnarly regression problems. All right, let's dig into the gnarl. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so what do you, what do you, why, why use the word gnarly? Yeah, so let's talk about regression for a second and kind of build up some complexity in, in our mental model here so that we, <laughs> we arrive at gnarly in a minute or two. And so just quizzing myself, mm -hmm. uh, a linear regression would be you've got a bunch of points and then you try to draw a line that's representative of those points through it, right? Yeah, so that's a pretty classic. That's usually the first thing that I think of when somebody says regression is exactly that. You have a bunch of points, you're trying to draw a line through it. The best fit line is the one that minimizes the difference between the line and the point for all of the points in your data set. And uh, a linear regression is an example of what we call a parametric model. So sometimes we talk about like the parameters of the models that people are fitting for. So in this case, the parameters of a linear regression will be things like the the slope of, if it's one-dimensional, it's like the slope of the line. It can be um, multi-dimensional or multivariate, so you can have the slope or the, the coefficients that multiply several different terms. Uh, and then there's the intercept term, which is uh, another parameter of the model. So when you're fitting the model, there's kind of a rule that says it has to have this functional form y equals mx plus b. Uh, and then you're finding m and b that best fit the data that you have, which is your x's and your y's. So there's kind of a, a set form, a set mathematical functional form of the answer that you're trying to find. Uh, and then there's a couple parameters that you're discreetly allowed to tune in, in finding the solution subject to that mathematical form. Okay, got it. Cool. So, but as I think probably a lot of our listeners know, as probably you know, uh, linear regression is not the only type of regression that's out there. So the, for, for the purposes of, of this conversation, let's talk about some other functional forms that that mathematical equation could take. So you could imagine if you saw a particular pattern of the data points, like let's suppose your data points were hourly temperature measurements taken over the course of a year. Mm. So, yeah, so you wouldn't want to fit yeah. that with just a line, right? No, <laughs> no, especially if you have, did you say hourly? Yeah. Yeah, then that's probably going to be, I mean, it's going to be curvy and it's probably going to be uh, sinusoidal because every day the temperature goes up and then it goes back down. Yeah, so there's a periodicity to the daily measurements that you're going to take where on average the temperature is higher in the day, lower at night. So you accept that you expect that in general there's maybe a roughly 24-hour period or pattern that you see. Of course, there can be days when you have a cold front that comes through first thing in the morning or whatever, so it's not it's not guaranteed. Um but in general that periodic structure is something that you generally expect to see and moreover there's going to be an annual trend where the temperatures right. are going to be higher in the summer, lower in the winter. So if you had 10 years worth of data, there might be uh, sinusoidal functions that you would have that had a couple different periods. And then when you were fitting the data, you would layer together a couple of different terms to account for the structure in the model. And then 
boom, uh, you have another example of a parametric model that's got okay. a totally different functional form, but again, we can use it to fit a regression model for temperature as a function of date and time. Okay, so a parametric model can be one of many different shapes, and it can also be a combination of those shapes. Is that right? Because you were saying in uh, if you had 10 years worth of data, for example, you probably have, roughly speaking, two sine waves. Yeah, I would say instead of calling it shapes, I'm going to use a, a slightly more precise term, which would be like a mathematical form. So by mm. mathematical form, I mean, do you have a, a function that's sinusoidal in the case of the temperature measurements, linear in the case of trying to fit a line. Uh, let me toss in a few more here. You could have something that is polynomial. So if you have a bunch of data that looks like it's um, distributed in kind of a parabolic shape, then maybe you're going to fit it with a, a quadratic function or a quartic function. Like so x, x squared, x, x squared, x cubed, like yeah, that. or like sums of, of terms like that, yeah. Um, so those are all going to have different characteristic shapes, and 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 that's so. Coming back to the point that you just made, like yes, they have different shapes, but um, in terms of when we're thinking about them as, as mathematical objects, they have different functional forms. So all of these are perfectly valid choices of mathematical functions that you can use that you can fit to when you're trying to solve a regression problem or not the world nobody nobody said that the only the only thing you're allowed to fit is a is a linear model uh you mm -hmm. know of course you can fit sinusoidal models you can fit quartic models there's all kinds of other math equations that we could think of that you could also uh try to fit and in some cases we have perhaps theoretical reasons to want to favor certain types of functional forms but in many cases uh, we don't have strong theoretical reasons to want to f to fit a particular form one or the over the, the others, um, and so when scientists are trying to figure out what's the best functional shape that they should use in their regression problem, um, a valid question is like, which one do we pick? If we were to pick a particular type of function over another, how different might the answer be? Uh, depending on if we had made a different choice. So these are all questions that you might be asking yourself if you're trying to fit, especially a, a pretty complex looking data set. So now we're starting to get into the gnarliness. <laughs> Imagine that you have a bunch of data points, you're trying to run a regression on them, and uh, you're confronted with the choice of what kind of functional form do you want your regression to take. And the data might not be giving you a super strong hint in any given direction. And you're a little bit worried that if you make a choice a certain way, you're going to end up uh, biasing your answer, perhaps. Uh, this is the problem that Gaussian processes try to help with. Okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, for people who don't know enough math, like me, uh, this is when I just go to my trusty friend, guess and check. Uh, which doesn't work if you're combining uh, a number of things together. Yeah, it can it can become pretty uh, pretty Pump untenable pretty quickly. There's there's potentially an infinite number of different functions that you could pick, and um, but at the same time, like imagine a couple of a couple of different cases, and you can start to see how you know there might be some overall trends and 
um, this is this is now we're starting to maybe build up a little bit of an ish, intuition for what what a Gaussian process maybe should give you in these different situations. So let's imagine one case where you just have a few data points, like maybe you have five or six data points. Uh, so you have X values and Y values. Let's suppose you just have, it's just one dimensional right now. Although of course um, you can do this in as many dimensions as you like. So one dimensional data set and these five or six data points are pretty far apart in X and Y. They... Wait, by one dimensional, do you mean two dimensional? I meant one dimensional um, along the X axis. So one dimensional oh, on like, the right hand okay. side of the equation. Yeah, no, but thanks for clarifying. It's two dimensional when you have like the X and Y uh, entering the picture. So in one scenario, uh, you know, they might be all spread out. There's not a super obvious uh, pattern to the points, but instead you just imagine you threw a handful of darts at an, a set of XY axes, or maybe you you gave your three-year-old a five or six nails and a piece of plywood <laughs> and they just started hammering nails into random places and like who knows so that's one scenario or you know another scenario that you could imagine is that you have lots and lots of data they're all very tightly aligned with each other maybe they're even going so far as to like carve out sort of a a clear path or a clear trend between them in that case you know you might have uh, much less as you're, even as you're eyeballing it, you might say with, with somewhat more certainty, like, okay, maybe I don't know the exact shape of the underlying distribution, but like, I can definitely see that there's certain trends here. So I have, you know, maybe right. less uncertainty about what the, you know, quote unquote, right answer is most likely to be relative to the first case where you, it's much more wide open. So kind of the more data points you have, the easier it is to guess. Especially the more data points you have that are close together. So a lot of data sets are kind mm. of a combination of the two where you might have two, three, four, five data points that are kind of all tightly packed in there together. And then, um, you know, there's probably a pretty tight set of assuming that the data points are all collected with perfect accuracy and perfect precision. That's the world that we're living in for the for the purposes of of this episode is we're not worrying too much about like errors on the data points, but instead some Oracle hands us a set of data points and says, these are true. And so if you have three, four five of them that are all clustered together, uh, then there might be a, a general trend that you can start to carve out that's connecting them with very little uncertainty, but in places where you have bigger gaps between the data points. And certainly if you're to the right of the rightmost data point or to the left of the leftmost data point, then you have very large uncertainties about what the shape of the distribution is out there because you don't have as much data to constrain it. So in the case of Gaussian processes, you know, it's a it's a technique that's general to this last case. So you can have lots of data points you can have that are telling you a very clear story. You could have just a few data points and then much more uncertainty about if you were to interpolate between those points, what's the, the shape of the function that you should consider like the right answer. Um, and so Gaussian processes are ideally when we're, when we're, uh, solving a Gaussian process, what it will give us as an output is I said, we are, we're trying to 
we're trying to fit over all of the functional forms that adhere to the constraints of you know those data points. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine now, okay, let's take the example of our the toddler with the with the um, nails and the and the hammer and the plywood. You know, why did we give? plywood and a hammer and nails to a three-year-old uh, that's for, that's the real question for uh story craft i suppose but yeah it really okay. begs a question okay so let's imagine though that that this um marginally responsible toddler has 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 now provided us with this piece of plywood it's got five or six different nails that are poking out of it at arbitrary places and moreover because this this toddler is a secret genius uh, there's this underlying distribution that we're trying to s- solve for this underlying, you know, kind of shaped curve. Each of the nails is drawn from that curve. Um, and so we're trying to say like, okay, what's the underlying curve? So a, a reasonable place to start is imagining, okay, let's take a piece of string and let's connect it to each of the nails, kind of working our way from the leftmost to the rightmost. And so the string is going to be going up and wrapping around the nails that are in the upper part of mm-hmm. the of the plywood that's going to be dipping down if there's nails in the bottom part of the plywood it's just sort of following it wherever it goes right and that string can curve or it can go straight or it can it can curve in all kinds of different ways because we don't really know the shape of the underlying distribution uh incidentally this marginally irresponsible uh toddler is also the magic oracle that you spoke of earlier. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, this is where the physics starts to fail us a little bit, because if we were yeah. actually doing this with a real string, then it would be, and we were, you know, pulling it tight at all, then it would be mostly linear between each, you know, the the spans between each adjacent nail, and then it would kind of kink at each of the nails as it work, goes around it and then goes on to the next one. So let's imagine, though, that instead of it, being constrained like that to be sort of in like line segments. Instead, we want to draw a, a smooth path, and mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a little bit more it's, it's a little bit more it's a gentler shape that that we're perhaps trying to draw. Okay, so then what you said earlier uh, makes a lot of sense. Where if you've got a couple of nails that are very close to each other, because we can trust each of these uh, each of these points, each of these nails then we have a lot more confidence about the shape of the underlying um, string or, or path uh, that, that forms that. Whereas, of course, if you have the nails that are further apart, you kind of have no idea what the string does. It could go straight, it could curve once, it could zigzag, it could do pretty much anything. Yeah, exactly. So you can imagine if, just like you were saying, if there's two nails that are very far apart, nothing in between them, then sort of the amount of wiggling around, the amount of trouble that the string can get up to <laughs> in its in its path from one nail to the next, uh, there's much more, you know, uncertainty about exactly which path is taking. And there's perhaps a larger, a larger distribution of paths that it could take. It can, it can vary a little bit more widely because it has more space to do that. Whereas if you have, I don't know, if, if we wanted to switch our metaphors up here, you know, imagine that you're, uh, you're an ant or something that's like going from nail to nail, walking along as you go, uh, that, and 
moreover, like by definition, the ant is constrained to make a stop at each one of these points. You know, if the points are right next to each other, then the thing that's going to make the most sense, that's the most kind of like the intuitively probably correct answer is that it's it's going more or less straight from one nail to the next one. There's just like not that much trouble it can get in, (laughs) you know, from, from a nail, from two nails that are a half an inch apart, let's say. But if there are two nails that are two feet apart, then it might take a very, a a, a very uh, scenic path from one to the other. It could wander up, it could wander down, it could, let's say it has to go from left to right, so it can't like curl back on itself. But, you know, it's like, it could, um, there's a pretty wide path that uh, describes the the realm of possibility as it goes from from one nail to the next. So you can imagine that's that's kind of what a Gaussian process description will will give us is that where we have lots of data points that are constraining the curve, then we have uh, very little uncertainty about what the shape of that curve is. The error bars around it or the the uncertainty around it is pretty narrow. Um, but then where things are more spread apart then you see the distribution start to widen out. And then exactly how quickly it widens out, how wide it is at the widest points, these are hyperparameters of the Gaussian and the shape that it can take, um, I should add, the shape that it can take between the different, um, between each of the adjacent nails. Um, Like, is it constrained to be a line? Is it constrained to be a polynomial? Mm. Well, uh, yeah, that's yeah. I think that's about right. This is starting to get into the mathematical guts of yeah. Gaussian processes in a way that, yeah. as you and I were were talking before we started recording this episode, we were realizing that um, we could end up pretty deep down a rabbit hole with with potentially not very much to show for it. So we're going to try to s- stay above a lot of the mathematical fracas here. But um, yeah, that yeah. sounds good. We don't yeah want the to be the rules in the rabbit hole oh, exactly. But the rules of the road for like what's going on inside of those like high uncertainty areas that's all captured within the mathematics of gaussian processes this is uh this is pretty cool um it seems like a really flexible technique yeah so it can you can fit theoretically any distribution uh any set of points with this technique it's pretty cool uh, where would people go to learn more about the actual, like, deeper mathy details? Yeah, deeper mathy details and and other helpful references. So, um, there are three really good references that I found myself reading to prep for this. One is from Distill.pub. One is from The Gradient, and one is by. Uh, Catherine Bailey. So I, we will have links to all of these uh, at lineardigressions.com. And some of them have like code snippets. And especially this is a topic that, I don't know, I think it's interesting enough that I wanted to cover it, but I think it lends itself very well to visual explanation as opposed to the the podcast medium, uh, unfortunately. So a lot of these have really good um, visuals and especially ones that you can you can play around with different settings and they have sliders and stuff like this so that you can get a better intuition for the parameters of Gaussian processes and how those affect the kinds of answers that you get out. So um, highly, highly recommend uh, those three references. We'll have them on the website if you are interested in uh, either getting into the math of this a little bit more if or if you're finding yourself scratching your head a little bit with our... <laughs> 
really strained toddler ant on a piece of plywood metaphor <laughs> and uh and you just want to look at a picture yeah well i i will say i have learned uh one thing at least one thing from this episode which is don't give a hammer and some nails and some plywood to a three-year-old or you will have a very difficult problem to solve Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.